preach in Jesus' name this morning. Blessing to be here. I'm not sure what we're going to have for a closing song, but we had the closing song to begin. So, it's a perfect selection for the wrap-up of the sermon this morning. The message this morning is kind of a result of a message I listened to this week that my brother emailed me and said, you got to listen to this sermon. And uh, very thought-provoking, and I'm recommending it to you. Uh, it was entitled, Anabaptist Perspective of Church Authority. And uh, I was kind of expecting this kind of beat up on the laity and maybe promote the ministry, and I'm not sure what I expected, but I was pleasantly surprised and thoroughly thought-provoked what the, what the brother had to say. And you'll find it on uh, Mount Olive Mennonite Church, Hagerstown, Maryland, on uh, and I would recommend you listen to it. But in that message, uh, he made a statement that in the Anabaptist era, if a church leader was martyred, they had an ordination that day yet. So if they burned Delvin at the stake, Uh, we'd have an ordination that evening. Now, you, you, you just absorb that. Just, just try to absorb that. Not Not just the person being burned at the stake, but being the one ordained. I mean, that's been going through my mind. It's like, whoa. I mean, sometimes we have, I mean, I had a brother tell me, it's like, in our circles, we can hardly have ordination because you have five or six candidates and like four of them will drop out because they have some reason like, oh, no, they're stressed out or uh, just don't think the Lord called them or, you know, and have all these reasons why they, 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 they're just not qualified. And I'm not saying there's people not qualified. I'm just simply saying that it's almost the plague to get somebody ordained. I mean, you know, and to get through this process and anyhow, be that as it may. So the title of the message, do I belong to the church? So the definition, I was just looking up in the dictionary, not necessarily a biblical perspective, says to be a member of or to be a part of something. I belong to the royal order of the moose or whatever. You have these things, you know, Knights of Columbus. or I, I belong to that, people say. And uh, they're, they're a part of it. 
Um, another definition is to be accepted or liked by other people in the group. So it's a sense of, uh, a sense of being accepted, a sense of being integral part of something. Um, of course you have belonging, also the definition is um, my John Deere 425 belongs to me, all right? It's my possession, all right? So I'm the greater, and it's the lesser, and it, it belongs to me. Like, don't pour water into gas, all right? I That's, or sugar, or whatever. I mean, you know, it's like respected or whatever. And, and I was thinking about, okay, so what does our business culture around us, a business, typical business in the U.S. expect of a, an, an employee? Well, I just went on the internet and it's like, what, what, what's the average business expect? Well, they expect someone that's going to take initiative. In other words, don't stand around and fiddle time away. Someone has a positive attitude and respectful. Okay, they're not running down the business and talking down to people and whatever. Entrepreneurial, I think I got that spirit. In other words, one that wants to do something and get something accomplished. Someone that, the innovator, all right, that can think outside of the box and be able to maybe go to management and say, I'm doing this job day after day after day after day, and I'm thinking this through, and I think there could be, a, I think maybe you should, maybe you should consider that it could be improved by doing this. It would make my job easier, all right? And if they listen to you, you can increase the efficiency of it, you know, and, and so you need, you need employees that, that not just come and make their buck and go back home. Okay. You need employee that's results, results oriented. Someone that's going to stick to it till it's done. Someone that's a team player. Someone that's dependable and responsible. Get there every morning at 8 o'clock. It's time to be there. Be there 10 till or whatever. So when it's time to go, you, you know, you're not sliding in three minutes, five minutes late. Um, I have a brother that did business coaching for a long time, and he said, I'm telling you, you know, if you have a godly, he's referring to the guys, I suppose, a godly young man that is responsible he never has to worry about getting a job because it is so unusual. Somebody that's enthusiastic, somebody that's working, is somebody there's 10 minutes before the job, somebody who's willing to stay 10 minutes after, if that's what it takes, somebody that's interested, somebody that's, I mean, it's just, there. that's so scarce. We had our first baby. I was telling the my boss was a Baptist pastor, and I'm telling you, you know, it's like kind of worries me a little bit. Now, you know, i got a wife to support, and I have a baby to support, you know. 
And he says to me, Dennis, don't ever worry about it. Don't ever worry about it. He said, with your work ethic and the quality of your work, you will always have a job in this world. Because he's hiring people. He can't get good help. All right? I'm not bragging on myself. I'm just simply saying what he said. And that was encouragement to me. The world needs godly people with high integrity. Someone that makes decisions and or actions that are in the best interest of the company. And somebody that has a desire for continued learning. I want to learn about my job. I want to do better. Can you teach me more? Not necessarily for personal benefit, but just simply to promote what they're doing. And when you have an employee like that, that employee will belong to that company. All right? There's a relationship there between management and appreciation and, you know, and, of course, then you have what does employee expect from management? Well, they expect them to lead. They expect them to have respect to them. They expect them not to micromanage them all the time. You know, you hire them to do a job. Let them do the job. Let them learn. All right? If you didn't, if you're going to micromanage them, why do you even bother hiring them? Just do it yourself. All right? So so I asked myself, where does belonging to the church start? Where does this relationship, where does this identity, where does this ownership begin? And obviously, the answer is very simple. It starts with a decision to do where I'm going to place my allegiance. What am I going to do in life? Who am I going to serve? What is life all about? Where am I going to end up? What am I going to do in the, in the meantime? How am I going to find meaning in life? And, and so you take all these things and you, you weigh them out. And you weigh them out. And, and you make a decision. Okay? This Satan thing, this evil thing, this downward path, it's a dead end street. You make that evaluation and you, and you know, living for Christ is worthwhile. And so you make a decision, where am I going to place my allegiance? And when you place, when we place our allegiance with Jesus Christ, that's where the belonging starts. An allegiance that's something greater, allegiance to something greater than myself. Something that I recognize is valuable to my spiritual and personal benefit for my day to day, my tomorrow, and my eternal welfare. And, and so, so I, I've got to make this decision. Moses. Let's turn to Hebrews 11.
Hebrews 11:24. It says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And by faith he did moved on through his life. And so Moses came to a crisis point. He had Egypt over here. He had all the fame. He had all the fortune. He had all the money. He had everything he could, he could, this world had to offer. He had God's people. He had suffering. He had right. He had truth. He had all these things. And he sat down and he decided what he's going to do about it. He made that decision to follow God and follow right because he said it's way more worthwhile than anything Egypt has me to, has to offer me. When I belong to Jesus Christ. I give it up. I give a lot of stuff up. I have to give up a lot of stuff. I give up my, the, the, the comfort of my individual, individualism. Alright? If I join with Jesus Christ and I belong to the church, I have, I have to give up that comfort of having my way all the time. And allowing myself voluntarily to be bound to other people in a very intimate and spiritual, spiritually deep relationship. I voluntarily walk into that relationship. It's a beautiful picture. Our flesh maybe cringes from it. You know, if I go all in, what's going to happen to me? Then I can't have my way. What would happen if Jesus said, yeah, I'll come, I'll come down, but I won't go all in. Yeah, I, I have, I feel bad for them and I feel bad for their sin and I feel bad for what's happening down there and I know God wants me to go down, but, but, and I'll go down, but I won't go all in. I, I just go part way. Kind of like if we were Anabaptists, and the Anabaptist church was called Prairie Mennonite Church, and they were burning people to stake, and somebody knocked at our door, my door or your door, and said, are you a member of the, do you belong to Mennonite, to Prairie Mennonite Church, if I get this right? Do you belong to the Prairie Mennonite Church? 
We're looking for your hide. And you know what's going to happen. What would you say? What would I say? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I go to the church there, and but, 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 you know, um, um. Or would you say, yes, I am? Knowing that it will cost you your life. See, that would prove whether you're all in or whether you're not all in. That would prove whether I'm all in or whether I'm not all in. So when I bind myself to Jesus Christ and I make that decision for God and his kingdom, then I automatically bind myself to his bride because they cannot be separated. Never separated. It's impossible. People say I can be a part of the church, but I, you know, I, 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 I'm a member of the church, but I'm not really a member of the church. No, 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 no. Either you're a member of the church of Jesus Christ and part of his visible body on the, on the earth, which is the embodiment of his bride here, now, today, or you're not. I can't separate the two. There's no such thing as an invisible church. I can't attach myself to an invisible church. God's church is what we see in this local community, right here at Prairie Mennonite Church. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians 12. First Corinthians 12, 21. Now the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble or necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there be no schism in the body, but that the members should be have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Pardon me. So if Curtis is honored, Gary's honored too. If Delvin suffers, Cleon suffers. All right? We're all in. Or are we all in? 
That's the challenge for me today. Am I all in? See, I can't be a part of the body and not be a part of the body. All right? So they cut my head off and they set it here on the table. All right? And, and Dennis is all there. All right? Is he all there? Isn't he all there? No, he's not all there because his head's here and his body's, well, can't stand up. But anyhow, okay, just for illustration. I, okay, I'm here, here without a head and my head's sitting there. All right, no, no, you can't do that. We're all in. The head's in. The arm's in. The leg's in. We're all in. Or else we ain't gonna, we can't function. We're done before we start. I can't be a part of the body and not belong or attach myself to it. It's just impossible. So, is it possible then to be a member of the body of Christ and not belong to it? Brother John Koblitz, when speaking on the church at Pilgrim in Ohio, he asked the question, how can you be a member of the church and not be a member of the church? If Can I spiritually, emotionally, and socially distance myself from it? Could Moses get this, have had half of Egypt and half of Israel? Okay, so I'm going to about half distant, socially, emotionally, and spiritually distance myself from Israel. I'm going to half spiritually, emotionally distance myself from Egypt. Could he have done that? And be any kind of an effective, fulfilled, blessed person? The answer, obviously, is no. Absolutely not. There was an event where he did, and let's look at it. Numbers 20. And we'll see the results. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, to the desert of Zin in the first month, and the people abode in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. And there was no water for the congregation. And they gathered themselves up together against Moses and against Aaron, and the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Would God we had been di- that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord? And why have ye brought 
up the congregation of the Lord unto this wilderness, that we and our cattle should die there. Notice the parting of ways here. This is not a one-sided deal. Therefore have, and wherefore have ye made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us in to this evil place? It is no place of seed or figs or vines or pomegranates, neither is any, there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. They fell upon their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. The Lord spake unto Moses saying, take the rod, gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother. Speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so shalt thou give the congregation their beasts to drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord, as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation before the rock, and he said unto them, Notice what he said. Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of the rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and his, with his rod, he smote the rock twice, and the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because ye believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. That's incredible. I bring you water! I, you. God said, because you did that, you will forfeit the blessing of bringing this people into the land that I promised them. Moses distances himself from the people of God. With tragic results. God did put him on top of a mountain. Let him see it. I've been around a long time. I have lived my life in different levels of commitment to Jesus Christ. All right. Unfortunately. From personal experience and from my observation, I have never seen a Christian find the fullness of the blessing of God when they're only half in. I've never seen it happen. If you have, let me know. It doesn't happen. when I emotionally, spiritually distance myself from the people of God, the church, the visible body of Jesus Christ, and I say, 
I'm okay. I'm about half in and that's all they're going to get because I don't want to lose my individuality. I don't want to, you know, be told what to do. I don't know all this stuff. I automatically limit the ability for God to bless my life. I have found it personally and observationally without exception. We find ourselves tragically miserable when we're only half in. Kind of like, well, can I get married? All right, I want to get married, but but I'm only going to go about half. All right, so it's kind of like, oh, right, can I get married and, and see how much? What, what can I get by with? Well, you missed the whole point. If you're going to get married, you go all the way. It's like, and there's where the blessing of the marriage lies. You only go half in. I mean, I'll go my half. She goes in her half. And we ain't, you know, she ain't telling me what to do. And I ain't telling her what to do. And, 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 and you know, you live this half miserable thing. And, and the blessing's gone. You know and I know it don't work. If we're going to experience the blessing of God in our marriage, we've got to be all in. I mean, she's all in and I'm all in and, and, and we're in it for better or for worse. That's what the preacher says. And when he said it, that's what he means. And when we say, yes, we better mean it too. See, the more I love my wife the closer I want to get to her. And that's as far as I'll go with that illustration. But it's true. I'll read you a couple of pages. No, maybe a half a page. Theology of Anabaptism by Robert Friedman. Okay, the Anabaptists, at least in some cases... And I'm, I, I can't accurately say how much, but they, they believe in communal living. In fact, oh, boy, where do I start on this one? I'm told when, in their, in their, not wedding vows, in their, in their baptismal vows, they vowed to be all in spiritually, physically, emotionally, and financially. Every single penny that they owned was committed to the church. And the reason why it had to be was because of these men getting burned to stake and bumped off. And, and, and you had all these widows and you had all these families. And, and it's like, we're all in this together. I mean, the money and everything, whatever it takes to make it work, that's what we're going to make it work. And and quite frankly, uh, you know, I've been to Hutter like. <laughs> How to write colonies, and and it's like I walk away, and it's like, oh man, would I go that far in? Like, not have a bank account. I mean, and and you know, it's it just everything's communal, and everything is everybody else's business. To the point they can walk in and if you have 
Swiss cheese in your refrigerator, uh, the neighbor lady can come in and just help herself to Swiss cheese and, and, and get some. And if you have company, um, somebody's walking by the house, I wonder who's in there. And they just come in and sit down. And I, I it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I mean, you know, I was like, I, I can go so far with this, you know, but, but I, I gotta have my privacy. I mean, I, I have to have my bank account. I have, now I'm not here promoting the Hutterites. I'm just simply saying. Do we have limits to how far we're in? Anyhow, Robert Friedman. I was going to quote Robert Friedman here, wasn't I? In, in an early study, trying to understand the deeper arguments of the doctrine of communal life when the Anabaptist, with the Anabaptist idea of the church, I find primarily three motives. Number one, brotherly love in action. A longing for sharing and togetherness with the brother in Christ. A longing for that. I want to be all in. They had a German quote which meant, where there is no community, there is no genuine love. Two, if I can pronounce this right, it's a German word, Glossenheit. I think it's how it's pronounced. Yieldedness or resignation to the will of God and renunciation of any form of selfishness. Any form of selfishness. This power, the Anabaptist movement. And number three, Obedience to divine, divine commands. And he says, as one gives up his own will, he naturally accepts God's commands as the basis and guideposts for action. It is only through communal living that the blood of Christ may cleanse sinful men. All right, so I, I guess you could say, I'm not excusing anybody here and I'm not promoting the Hutterites. But the closer you are together, the more you understand the blessings of the will of God. And if they want to take it to living side by side in the houses, so be it. You know, I, I, I'm not here to argue that, whatever it may be. So if we're doing all that, so if... if if we're sharing together with with the brother in Christ, we're yielded to the will of God, and we've gotten rid of all selfishness. That's our goals, and we're following the commands of Christ. Then we also have to submit ourselves to church discipline. Matthew uh, Matthew eighteen. If a brother does this, then you go to him, and if he doesn't respond well, then you take somebody with you, and, and, alright? See, you can't separate all this. I can't pick and choose. Jesus clearly said, 
You go to your brother, but now make sure that you get that splinter out of your, or your beam out of your eye before you're picking on, you know, the splinter out of your brother's eye, okay? See, the nitty-gritty of submission in the commitment, the ability to gracefully accept someone's concern for an area in my life. Do it with graciousness. Do it with, with kindness. Do it with... Yeah. Because they cared enough. You know, maybe, maybe you think, maybe they didn't say it right. I don't know. Whatever. But, but am, am I willing to submit? Am I willing to say, yes, you're right? Do I belong enough to submit? Do I belong enough to care and go to that another person? There is blessing and there is power in submission to each other in the church. Take it away. You take away the blessing and you destroy the power. You've seen it. I've seen it. Congregations. Individuals. You take away the submission you take away the blessing and you take away the power. Am I willing to embrace submission to Jesus Christ and to his church? Can I do it? More importantly, will I do it? I'm talking Dennis Martin. I'm, I'm serious. I am seriously talking Dennis Martin this morning. I'm not, I'm not beating up on you. So if you're like me and you are honest, there will probably have been times where I felt distant from the church. Sometime or other. Seemed like, I, I don't know, seemed, maybe seemed like people didn't care, so maybe people, I, whatever. It, it just seemed like there's distance there. And I already implied, the for me, one of the reasons, the main reason was I just wasn't all in. And if you're not all in, you can't, you can't, you can't be close and not be all in. I, that's, I'm sorry. That, that's the way it is. No. When I distance, then I create distance, alright? If I back off, you know, and, and, 
you know, if I back off, it's kind of like between me and God. If God feels distance, who moved? We have to ask that question. Who moved? Am I submitting myself to the word of God and group conscience of the congregation I willingly attached myself to? You see, when I said I want to belong, then I need to, I need to mean I belong. And so I need to submit myself to the group conscience. It's like Arnie used to say uh, when he would explain communion. It's like some have closed communion, some have open communion. We have close communion. It's like that's the way they do it. This is how we do it here. That's what he would say. This is what our congregation decided that that's how we're going to handle this. And so if, if I remember and start beefing and Crying about we don't have open communion. Now, wait a minute. I voluntarily said, I want to belong. Now, I know you can take this nitpick it and try to make every member a cookie cutter Christian. The Bible does not teach that. It teaches there's gifts in the church, there's giftings, and people are doing what God gifted them to do. But they're overall, there has to be an umbrella of understanding. That's why we have what we call brotherhood agreement. That's very simple. It's not something to beat up people with. It's just just an understanding. So I need to ask myself, Do I really believe that I need other people in the church? Do I really believe that I need the church overall? Or have I absorbed Protestant theology that says I can come only to God, I can come God by myself, and I don't need the church? By the way, Anabaptist theology says that The brotherhood comes to God together. All right? See, if I'm not in good relationship with my brother and and we're on the outs and we hate each other, he can't get to God right and neither can I. So it's very important whether I think or I believe or I am convinced that I need you and you need me. Critical to the existence of the church and the future of it. It has to be. Then there's a possibility. You know, we all have, we all have an enemy and, and that's the devil. And he just loved, he loved to destroy the belonging in the church. He's accuser of the brother. He hates prairie Mennonite church with a passion. 
He hated it from the day that it was brought into existence. And he hates it with a passion today. I got to be on the guard from his maneuverings, potential maneuverings with my imagination. The Bible talks about bringing into captive our imagination. So somebody says something to me, oh, well, that's, you know, they really didn't come out and say it, but that's what they meant. All right? And my imagination starts going. My imagination starts going. It gets worse and worse and worse. Somewhere along the line, we got to get serious with our adversary and say, I'm not going there. I am unwilling to give up the belonging that God wants for Prairie Mennonite Church. I'm unwilling to give it up. You see, imaginations beget imaginations. Bitterness begets bitterness. Distance begets distance. By the help and grace of God, brothers, I mean, in my life, you know, we've got to stop it. If that starts, we have to stop it. We have to recognize what it is. Imagination begets imagination. Bitterness begets bitterness. Touchiness. But there's a better picture. My life is cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I am all in for the church. I mean, bar none. I am, by the grace of God, dying daily to myself. My personal wishes and my sinful desires. If I can do that, then belonging begets belonging. What a beautiful picture. And then I can say, I belong to the church. In 100% honesty.